Welcome to Avian Bone Syndrome Podcast, Episode 1, Eclipses. Welcome again to Avian Bone Syndrome Podcast, Episode 1. Now, since this is the first episode, a couple of words about me may be in order. Uh, my name is Daniele Giolino for friends. I'm Italian, born and raised, and currently still stuck here. <laughs> and reason for this podcast is simply, well, I wanted to do it. I'm not new to the world of podcasting. I used to do this many years ago. I had a little attempt at this. Uh, this was actually in 2004, I think, 2005, well, a decade ago or more. And this was actually shortly before iTunes made podcasts popular for real. At the time, you still had to look for websites and then use an RSS aggregator to get your episodes. It was not exactly as easy as it is today. If you hear steps, it's because I'm walking. And the reason I'm walking is that I find it helps me concentrate on what I'm saying. As silly as it is. When I'm on the phone, I actually walk for kilometers around the house. I just cannot stay still. This is actually the second attempt at recording this. So I figured, well, if I cannot stay still at the desk as I'm talking, I'm going to pretend it's a phone call. Well, a very wide phone call, but a phone call nevertheless. Another thing to know about me is that I'm a nerd. Openly nerd. And that means that I like science. A lot. And I figured that, well, we could start the podcast by talking about eclipses. Because that's quite the rage. Well, not really. But we recently had an eclipse here in Europe. And I realized that a lot of people really don't have a very good idea of what an eclipse is. I mean, everyone knows that it's the moon getting in the way, <laughs> quite literally, between us and the sun. But a lot of people really don't know how how it works or why it's different in different places on the planet. And I know that some people who are listening to this may be wondering, how can people not know? Well, I don't know, but some people really get confused. So hopefully I will help shed some light, pun intended, and just explain how things work with an eclipse. Hopefully everyone will learn something out of this. And if not, well, I hope it's going to be just a pleasant listen, I guess. Now, the eclipse we had this time on March 20th, 2015, if anyone's listening to this in the future, was a total eclipse. The point of maximum eclipse was in Northern Europe, somewhere up in the Faroe Island, I think. And, of course, going south, the coverage diminished. Where I'm located in central Italy, we only got around 60% coverage. And 60% coverage is not much. I mean, it may sound like a lot. You may think, well, it's covering more than half the sun, so you get a nice shade. Not really. That's a huge misconception. When people think of eclipses, especially if they've never had the chance or the luck to experience one, they think that an eclipse is just weird. That the sun goes out and the night engulfs the world. Everyone starts screaming, maybe. It's not really like that at all. Unless you're really close to 100% coverage, such as Scotland this time, or even England, really. Uh, I think England got around 80%, uh, and Scotland got close to 90 if not more. 
but unless you're really close to that, you barely notice it. In fact, I'm pretty sure that if people around here hadn't known beforehand that an eclipse was going to happen, they were probably didn't even notice. Because even at its peak, and I was out taking photos of this, the whole ordeal, and I'll get to that in a moment, but even at the moment of maximum coverage, for us, around 60%, well, it barely registered. I was outside taking photos, as I said, and at the maximum moment of coverage, it really just felt like the sky was getting slightly hazy, even though, of course, it was clear. But that's how it felt. If I had been inside working, uh, for instance, I literally would not have noticed. So unless you happen to live very close, or happen to be, really, because a lot of people travel to eclipses, I plan to do that at some point, that would be wonderful. But unless you happen to be there, you don't really get it. And a lot of people have this idea that in the past, shepherds or people who just didn't know about eclipses would go nuts. But I think that really that's just an exaggeration because, as I said, unless you are really close to where the coverage is really big, you don't even know. And you probably have better things to do than deal with legends of the sun going dark somewhere far away. Anyway, going back to today, uh, about the photos that I've taken, you can see them on my website. And speaking of which, every single time we'll mention an address in this podcast, you don't have to take notes of that. I will post every single address in the description of the podcast's episode, so you can just go and refer to it later on. So especially if you're driving, just be careful, keep driving, and you can go and visit the website later on. You don't have to rush through anything. So, safety first. Now, if you go and see my photos, you will see that I've covered the whole eclipse. (laughs) Pun intended, again. And I really used very simple equipment. You don't have to have expensive equipment to take photos of an eclipse. In fact, you can probably get away with that just by using your phone and a welder screen to protect the lens. Or rather, to protect the sensor, because you don't want to point your camera sensor straight into the sun for a long period of time. And this is especially true of cell phones, compact cameras, and mirrorless cameras which always have the sensor exposed to the outside world. Using uh, an SLR is much safer for the camera itself because there is a mirror in the way. So as long as you don't use the live view or whatever it's called on your brand, you're fine with it because you're only going to snap a picture every so often and it's going to be fine. That's what I did. I only used live view just to re-aim the camera towards the sun so that I wouldn't be looking into (laughs) the mirror myself. But other than that, it was just a couple of seconds, so it was fine. But what I used was an infrared filter. So my equipment was just a Canon 60D that I had until a few days ago, actually. I said recently upgraded. <laughs> I treated myself to a new toy. A very cheap 55 to 250 f4 to 5.6 Canon lens, really cheap, and an infrared filter by Koken, uh, which is equivalent to an R72 by Hoya. So again, you can get it for like 50 euros. So. It was pretty cheap, it was very basic equipment. You can do that even with an entry-level DSLR. Now, going back to the eclipse itself, there are essentially three kinds of eclipses. There is a partial eclipse, a total eclipse, and an annular eclipse. A partial eclipse is one which has no totality anywhere on the planet. These tend to happen if the eclipse takes place around sunset or sunrise. So, the sun is below the horizon, effectively, when it would reach totality. 
And so there's just no place on Earth where the eclipse is total, or annular, for that matter. Of course, even a total or an annular eclipse is just going to be partial anywhere totality or annularity is not reached. So eclipses are always partial, at least partially, pun intended once again. Whereas a total eclipse happens where there is a point on the planet and in time in which the sun is completely obscured. And this of course happens when the moon just gets in the way and casts a huge shadow on the planet. That's, when you think about it, the biggest shadow the planet ever sees, repeatedly. If we ever see a shadow that's bigger than the moon, I think we should get worried. <laughs> but thankfully that's not going to happen anytime soon. Now what is the difference between a total eclipse and an annular eclipse. An annular eclipse is an eclipse in which, even at, at its biggest point, you can still see the edges of the sun. And this is what baffles most people. Why does that happen? Isn't the moon always the same? Isn't the sun always the same? Yes, but it's just a matter of perspective. Because see, the moon doesn't always keep the same distance from the Earth. A lot of people don't think about that, but the moon is not Actually, no celestial body orbiting any other celestial body keeps the same distance. It's just the way it is. There are so many factors. Usually most orbits are elliptical for a series of reasons I'm not going to mention here. You can look that up if you're interested in that. But generally speaking, most orbits are elliptical. Some more than others. You will never find, really, a perfectly circular orbit. And what this means is that, of course, there would be a point in which the orbiting body will be closer and one point in which the orbiting body will be farther from the one it's revolving around. And this is exactly what happens with the moon. Now the average distance between the Earth and the moon is around 384,000 kilometers. I have no idea how many miles that is. I'm walking so I cannot really pull out a calculator and do the math but you know. But it actually varies greatly. I think it varies around 50,000 kilometers. That's a huge distance in human terms, but you can imagine that such a difference in distance is visible to the naked eye. Or isn't? Well, see, you don't really see the difference in the moon size. That's partly because we're not used to looking at the moon as much as the previous generations did. But usually you don't see the moon being bigger or smaller, because it's just this thing in the sky. And I'm not referring to the fact that the moon looks bigger when it's lower on the horizon. That's something entirely different. That's not something that you can measure. I mean, actually, you can measure it, but it will be the same size as the moon goes up from the horizon after moonrise. Uh, if you take photos of it and you go and measure the pixels, you will see that it's exactly the same size. Not so if you take photos of the moon at different times during different nights, and you will see that the actual size, actually the perceived size, does change indeed as the moon gets closer or farther from the Earth. And that's exactly what's happening here. That's what leads to annularity. An annular eclipse happens when the moon is just farther away from us. And it's so far away that its apparent size is just not big enough to cover the sun completely. And as you may imagine, there are different degrees of annularity. Now what I mean is that sometimes you will have an annular eclipse in which you will see more of the sun, that is when the moon is really far away from us, and other eclipses in which the annularity is going to be really tiny because the moon is just a little bit farther away than it should be to get totality. In a sense, you may even consider totality as a special case of an annular eclipse in which the ring that you get to see is just zero. But that's really what causes the difference between a total eclipse and an annular eclipse. 
And again, with an annular eclipse, you also get partial eclipses. From the point of view of someone who's not in the path of maximum coverage, it's just going to be another partial eclipse. They will not really perceive the difference. I mean, they will just see a smaller coverage in the case of an annular eclipse, because the moon is farther away. But that's really it. One thing that's really interesting that most people don't think about is the tides that come with an eclipse. And it's very easily explained. As you know, the Earth exerts a force on the moon to keep it mostly in orbit. And I'll say in a moment why I say mostly. But the moon also exerts a force on Earth. And of course, having a smaller pull on the Earth, it's only able to pull on the water which is what gives us tides. But as you may imagine, there is a time that is during the eclipse in which you get not only the moon exerting a force on the water on Earth, but also the sun which that's right behind it. So their forces are combined and you get really big tides. Now how big that really depends on many factors. But usually the tides during an eclipse are quite bigger than normal ones. And this is mostly seen and known in places where there are harbors or, well, places like Venice, for instance, where they have problems with water all along. Another thing that's interesting about eclipses is that they usually tend to last a couple of minutes. I'm talking about the maximum coverage. But in theory, if you were to be on a plane traveling fast enough, you may chase the eclipse by following the path of maximum eclipse. Imagine this. Imagine, imagine the path on a map. And you're just on a plane and you keep going to it. Because the eclipse is not, it's not centralized. Some people think that it happens at the same time, regardless of your position. It's not. Because an eclipse is an optical effect. What you're seeing is just a shadow. And as you move, the shadow will not only change, but your perception of it will change. It's like, it, it's like driving on a car. In a sense, it's related to the parallax effect. The parallax effect is, uh, is an optical illusion. And it's the same thing that you see every day you're in a car or in any moving vehicle. And it's what makes things that are closer to you, closer to the edge of the, of the street, appear to be slightly faster than the things slightly farther away. And so on until you get to the horizon itself, which seems to be still. And it's a very basic effect. In fact, many video games used to use that to give an illusion of movement and depth. Back in the day where computing power was limited and... <laughs> If you wanted to give an impression of, you know, of moving faster, that was a very easy way to obtain that. You just had layers of things that moved at different speeds. And you got that. You got the illusion of moving. And so that actually applies to an eclipse too. So if you're basically following the path of the eclipse, you may make the eclipse last longer. Not much longer. It's not going to last hours. But you may get... I don't know, seven or eight minutes, I think. Now, I don't know the math exactly, because as I said, I'm walking, and I'm not referring to any notes. I'm just talking on my own. Now, when it comes to orbits that I mentioned before, is that the Earth is pulling on the Moon and keeping it mostly in orbit. Now, that's a bit of a simplification, because the truth is, the Earth is losing its pull on the Moon, and that's been happening for a while. The consequence of that is that every year the distance between the moon and the earth increases by a few centimeters. And over time, over the course of millions and millions of years, the moon would get farther and farther away, as it's been doing all along. And what that means is that eventually, at some point, eclipses will only be annular. And not only that, they will get smaller and smaller. Now, this is not going to happen overnight. It's not 
something we should really be concerned about as human beings because by the time that happens I think the human species will not exist anymore at least not the way we know it but it's something to keep in mind now when the time comes that the earth just cannot hold on to the moon anymore because it's so far away that its gravitational pull is nil the moon will probably be just thrown away a lot of changes will take place on earth because the moon gives stability to the earth's rotation and the tides will not happen anymore but as i said that's something to think about in terms of a very distant future that will not affect us but i think it's still nice to think about that kind of thing well maybe not nice it's kind of creepy when you think about it but i think it gives us perspective on how really small we are we're just you know i like to say that we are just a species that takes itself a bit too seriously you know we think that we are the center of the universe and i mean how can you blame people especially in the past for thinking so you're the only species that can think about these things so you must be special right but in reality we're not and there is a photo that i'm particularly fond of it was taken by the cassini huygens spacecraft from right behind saturn you may say that that's taken from a saturn eclipse from the point of view of the of the probe and the probe took this picture of saturn from behind so you can see the rings in older majesty in older beauty it's breathtaking it's one of the most beautiful pictures that you will ever see and I encourage you to look for it, I will put a link to it in the description of this episode. But the reason it's beautiful is not because it's a beautiful photo of Saturn, which is the most beautiful planet in the solar system, no. It's because somewhere through the rings you can see a very small pixel. It looks like a distant star, a distant body, a distant, distant rock. And it is. The only difference is that that rock is Earth. It's really far away. And yes, we are a special species. We came up with the ability of making a machine and sending it so far away. And relay pictures and data and study the universe because that's what we do. That's what our species has been blessed with. And I use blessed in a very agnostic way. But we are curious. We are. We made a rover and we sent it to Mars and we called it Curiosity because that just embodies who we are. But still, we're just tiny creatures in a small, forgotten planet. This rock, really, this wet rock in a peripheral solar system in one of billion galaxies in the whole universe. We're not special. We may think we are, and from our vantage point we are, but we should learn to appreciate how wide the universe is and how humbling it is now some people tell me doesn't that make you feel empty doesn't that make you feel lonely thinking that we are just on this tiny rock and the whole universe is out there and has no meaning well i'm sorry i'm going a little bit philosophical here but as i said this is just like a conversation for me that's why i'm walking <laughs> that's why i enjoy doing this while walking and i think it's i'm going to publish this I will. <laughs> My first attempt didn't really work because I was trying to be too serious. And I was just blabbering facts. I had nodes and distances and all of that. And I figured, no, that's not what I want. That's not what I want my podcast to be, really. Even just the mistakes I make, you know, while talking. Sometimes I pause and <laughs> splice things together. 
because um, you have to do some post-production, otherwise you're not a serious editor. <laughs> Other times, no, I'm not going to do that, because, I mean, I want this podcast to be honest. I've always made honesty my <laughs> trademark, and I want to do this. And I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so when I think about that, I don't find it demeaning in any way. I really don't. I mean, yeah, it is humbling, but it's not demeaning. People will find it a little bit unsettling, but I don't find it demeaning to think that there is a whole universe out there. Actually, I love it. That's what pushes me to to learn more and to know more. And I've always enjoyed learning and discovering things. Nothing makes me happier than finding something on which I know nothing about. It's always been a pattern in my life. That's why sometimes I get to know about something and I kind of get bored. I want to know more about something else. I find it really empowering and I'm at peace with it. I'm at peace with the fact that I will never know what's out there. I don't have to know and I don't have to make up an excuse. I actually find it really encouraging that we don't know because that pushes us to know. To look for it, if anything. That's why we've sent robots on Mars. That's why we've been building probes. And it's really saddening to me that we we have all this brain power, this all combined brain power on Earth, especially now that we have the Internet and we can literally communicate with people all over the planet in a split second. And we don't use that for the greater good. And by that I mean both earthly things, such as trying to improve the way that we feed ourselves so that more food is available where it's more needed, and otherworldly things. <laughs> well, maybe otherworldly is not the right word, right? But let's, send, let's keep sending probes, let's keep doing things with space, let's keep discovering. We don't know if something's out there, we don't know if someone's out there. What we know is that there is so much that we don't know, and the human race itself has always thrived on learning things. And so going back to eclipses, sometimes I think about the whole myth according to which people used to go crazy just because they didn't know. And I think we really need to give more credit to the past, or rather to the past generations. Because we think that they were, well, can I say it, idiots? But probably they knew more than we like to believe. Because again, we try to think that we are the best. As a species, or as a species in time. <laughs> Maybe some of them went crazy, maybe some of them saw omens in the fact that the sky went dark, or that the sun was being eaten by a monster, because, let's face it, when the moon is so close to the sun, you cannot even see that it's the moon. And unless you have eye protection, you just don't know what's happening. It's really dangerous, by the way. So if you happen to be near a solar eclipse, don't look at it without proper protection. You only have two eyes, at most. And you don't want to lose your eyesight. Just look at an eclipse, as wonderful as it is. If you have no true eye protection, and by that I mean special lenses, not sunglasses, those are not good enough. What I mean is that you need to get things like welders, panels, or whatever they're called. Those black things that welders use to protect their eyesight when they're working. They're very cheap, you can buy them at any home improvement store, any hardware store. And they come off really cheaply. You can probably buy a pack of 10 for, I don't know, 10 euros or 10 dollars or 10 pounds. If you don't have eye protection, don't look at the sun. Don't risk it. I cannot stress this enough. And this actually happened before the eclipse. People came to me asking, what do I do? If you cannot get anything, just make a pinhole camera. 
it, it's actually very easy. What you do is you just take a piece of paper, you cut a hole in it, and then you stick a sheet of aluminum foil, aluminum foil, <laughs> tin foil, whichever accent or <laughs> spelling you prefer. And then you just take a needle, very small needle, and make a hole in it, very tiny hole, through the <laughs> through the bigger hole you cut in in the sheet, of course. And then you just aim it at the sun, and as the light goes through, it will project a picture of the sun on the ground or on a wall, and it will retain the shape of the sun. So during an eclipse, you will you will see it cut out by the moon, and the same thing happens with the leaves of a tree during an eclipse. The leaves will create pinholes naturally, and as the light filters through, you will just see a picture of the sun on the ground. Normally, it just looks like round balls of <laughs> of light. During an eclipse, you will see the actual shape of the sun. It will be reversed, actually, but that doesn't really change anything, does it? But I was talking about the people of the past. That's another thing that always amused me, and that's the idea that around the year 1000, people were going crazy and thinking it would be the end of the world. Kind of like a Millennium Bug 1.0. The truth is that that's just an idea that came up in the Middle Ages. I have no idea how we came up with that first, but the truth is that in the year 1000, in the real year 1000, people most likely didn't even know that it was the year 1000. Because the calendars were still just a big mess, everyone had a different one, and let's just face it, most people didn't care. Most people's occupation was just farming or doing things with the land, really, or cattle. So their main interest was just get on with life and survive. Very few could read, very few could write, very few could make anything beyond basic calculations that needed for their own activities. And usually the ones who could do more were just the noblemen. And most people probably barely counted the years from their own birth or from some kind of local event like the current king getting power. So the whole idea of people going crazy and worrying that at the turn of the millennium the world would end, that's just not true. That's just not what happened. And there are many false history tales that we believe and that I may address in a future episode. So I think that that would conclude today's first episode. I probably talked more than I was planning to, but believe me, compared to the beta version of episode 1, this is at least more pleasant. I would hope so anyway. I have no idea when episode 2 will come. What I would like to know, however, is what you thought of this. So, chances are you're probably listening to this because I told you I made a podcast. And you may just be listening to this because you just want to get over with the whole thing. <laughs> Out of sheer nagging on my end. Well, I want to believe that you enjoyed it. At least you may appreciate my accent. <laughs> um, or maybe not. Maybe it disgusts you. I don't know. But what I would like to know is what you think about this. Whether this episode was too long, was too short too boring, too interesting, too badly edited, really well edited. One I should talk about in, in future episodes, I have a list of things I would like to address. And I will get to everything. It's probably gonna be borderline nerdy, but I find that I do enjoy talking. And I figure that sometimes people ask me about a specific topic and in my mind I'm like, well, that would be a nice thing to address the rest of the population with, so to speak. Not, not really. Sometimes I think that maybe uh, certain topics may be of interest to more than one person. 
And so I have a list of things I will address. But if you have something that you would like me to, to talk about in any new episode, uh, just let me know and we'll see what we can do. And if you're listening to this later on when I have more episodes up and you're just catching up, well, thank you very much <laughs> for doing that. I really appreciate that. And that's it for today or tonight or whenever you're listening to this. Thank you again and stay human. The music used in this episode is Look Busy and Porch Swing Days by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com.